Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 635, with Tracy Vaught. Uh, there are things about the way we do business that we might change, but the culture is deeper than that. I don't think that changes. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. It doesn't get easier than Cake. Cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use. With cloud-based access from any device, 24-7 customer support, and a lifetime access to Cake University, how could you not love Cake? To learn more about Cake point of sale, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener, you will save $750 off activation. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. Unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicsuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Tracy Vaught. Tracy, my girl, you're feeling unstoppable today. I am. I'm unstoppable. (laughs) Yes, that's what we like to hear. So Tracy Vaught may be an accidental restaurateur, but 35 years later, she is now one of the most respected in the field. The geologist turned restaurateur owns and operates H-Town Restaurant Group, which includes four of Houston's most successful award-winning restaurants. Uh, Backstreet Cafe, Hugo's, uh, Curacol, and Sochi. The group also recently opened Mi Al... Say that for me. Mi Almita. <laughs> Mi Almita in Honolulu. And they own half of a restaurant uh, in Mexico. What was it, the city in Mexico? In uh, Oaxaca. Oaxaca. And that is Origin. Origin. I say it right? Origen. 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 Thank you. (laughs) She is a three-time semifinalist for Restaurant Tour of the Year for James Beard Awards, named 2003 Restaurant Tour of the Year at Houston Culinary Awards, and recognized in 2017 for her work by Houston Business Journal's Women Mean Business Awards. Wow. Congratulations on your career. You're doing a great job. I cannot wait to find out who you are and how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or a mantra of some sort well um i would say we don't have a mantra but uh it is our policy to develop our employees instead of looking for employees from the outside we try to develop the ones we have Mm, you know 
that's what it's all about, right? It's, it's, it's about t- taking, it's taking care of what you got. That's right? right. I love it. It's a great way to get this thing started. So where does the story start for you? Where, where does it make sense to start telling your story? Um, I guess when I started out, I was a geologist. I worked, went to the University of Texas, and I had a job in Washington, D.C. as a geologist. And then later, uh, I moved to Houston, worked for Conoco. Uh, so I worked for about five years in that field and decided that I would like to be um, out in the sunlight instead of in the office. So I started thinking about ways that I could, you know, uh, change my career and um, have more freedom. So what made you choose the restaurant industry? It was just one of the few things that I knew. I mean, I knew food. I was interested in food. Uh, I wouldn't say I was not a chef or anything, but I, that was an interest I had. So I started pursuing that. So did you open the restaurant with your uncle, or was the restaurant already open, or was that a, p- a partnership? How did that go down? Um, yes, we opened it together. With uh, no it, restaurant experience beforehand? None. Wow. What was so, that like? <laughs> well, um, I just asked the employees, how did they do it where you used to work? And I just kept asking that question and asking that question. And I had a person who uh, helped me before I opened. He was like a mentor, and he I met with him once a week. He gave me reading assignments and told me what, what my cost should be and, you know, just all kinds of information. And I just listened real carefully, took a lot of notes. and I'm loving where this, this interview is going already. Um, I mean, it's the thing... I mean, the first you mentioned just asking employees, and I think it's so important that I think a lot of people, when they become the owner or the boss, they feel like they have to have all the answers, and they're they're too proud to, to lean on other people to learn from other people that they're hiring. Um, do you do you agree with that? Do you ever see that, or do you think that might be something that exists? Yes, but uh, you know, everybody has pockets of information, right? And so, um, one person might understand very well how to train people um, for service. Uh, another person uh, might be really good on tech, uh, you know. Uh, so, you know, everybody's got a specialty, I think, and yeah. an interest. So. Yeah, and we have all these incredible people on our team. Why not leverage them for all their worth? Why not tap right. into that potential? You're, you're, you're doing yourself a disjustice if, you, if you're not tapping into it, right? So I love that humility of being willing to go to your employees to, to know that you can learn from them. And then again, just uh, you mentioned having that mentor, having that person that it's like a mastermind. You meet with them like once a week and they, they coach you. I mean, was this a paid situation? Or no, just a- no, he was um, the relative of a friend, a high school friend. Was he in the, I'm assuming he was in the restaurant industry. That was his career. At the, he worked at uh, a chain restaurant a long, long time ago, and then he started a business uh, doing the food for um, offshore on rigs. And so, you know, he had experience in restaurant and in more or less catering. And so, uh, you know. I'm sure he taught you a lot, but reflecting back at this time, this man, what was his name? Ron Riddle. Ron Riddle. Um, what were the biggest things he taught you? Oh, my goodness. Not just, like, uh, the technical stuff, but, like, how to be, how to lead, and all that stuff. The one thing that I remember him saying is if you are not willing to bend over and pick up a package of crackers off the floor, then you shouldn't be in this business. <laughs> so it's a business of pennies. That was his message. Yeah. I and mean, if the other thing, I feel like if, if you're not going to do it, how can you expect your team to do it, right? Right. Um, what else did he teach you? Big um, like he that. taught me what my cost should be because uh, I didn't have any idea uh, like what 
what the guidelines would be for running the business. Um, so this is 1983, right? Right. Were the standard like the standards that we have today, like the prime costs, were those a thing then? Was that established? Like, was it? It fixed? was. Uh, I would say I don't remember hearing about prime cost until a few years later, but um, those same costs, I think, uh, are applicable today. That plus I or learned. minus fewer percentages. So, um, what were your biggest challenges getting started without having any experience? Take us through that. What that was like? Um, How'd you get the money? How'd you find the location? Uh, I partnered with my uncle, and he he and I did it together. He had the money. I had some money, but he had was more he an, money. Was he an operational partner, or was he just a, like a investing partner? Just an investing partner. Okay. So I'm just trying to wrap my mind around um, starting op- like without any restaurant experience and just opening a restaurant. Um, what were the, like, the biggest challenges for you? Hmm. Well, the the physical place was very challenging. Uh, continues to be today. It's still open. Uh, it's an old house, two story house with a big backyard, and we've renovated it a number of times. But the kitchen was very small. Uh, we washed our dishes by hand, and um, behind the bar, all the glassware, and in the kitchen, all the plateware. Um, yeah, we. So you're just like talking like ergonomically, uh, it wasn't really laid out to be a restaurant. No, not at all. Have you done anything to to change that? You said even to this day, it's oh, still yeah. a challenge. I mean, we have renovated it a number of times, and we've enlarged the kitchen three times. Um, so, yes, we've, we've adjusted, but, you know, you are sort of limited by the physical what advice do you, what, what, what advice do you have for somebody who might be uh, up against that same challenge of, of opening their first restaurant and not quite being fully understandable of what like ergonomics and flow looks like, what tricks can you share? What, what things did you do that anybody can do to help improve that? I know each restaurant's a little unique. Yeah, I think they're, they're depending on your physical plant, you just have to adjust. Uh, you know, for example, at uh, Backstreet, we don't have very much storage. Uh, same thing at Sochi. So we have to adjust and not be quite as, um, allow ourselves to, to, you know, get big and have a lot of junk. So we have to edit that down. Um, I would say that other the things that we struggle with at Backstreet, for example, wine storage. We don't have near enough wine storage. There's wine coming out of our ears over there. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I can't say specifically what uh, I would advise, but I definitely would advise getting a good architect. Yeah, well, I want to backpedal a little bit because I think you mentioned just uh, like editing things down and mm-hmm. getting what you need, just just enough of what you need on hand. I think a lot of people will will like like bulk buy, right? They'll, they'll buy and they'll just have all this product on hand, and that's taking up that's money on shelves. Uh, you don't want money on shelves, you know? Why do, why don't we want the money on the shelves? No, we don't, uh, and that's something that I think wine is money on shelves. I mean, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but for example, uh, you you have a tendency that you want to have enough supplies for the busiest day of the year. Yeah, you want everything there so you can do that business. You're not thinking about like every other day. So it's a it's a struggle. Um, for example, at Sochi, we recently had a party where they bought out the whole restaurant and they wanted um, tall tables instead of the tables that were in there. Well, we had no place to put our tables. We had to like rent a truck and we had to put all our tables and chairs in that truck and go drive that truck and park it somewhere 
and then you know bring in the other so it's just <laughs> whatever so you opened in 1983 and it wasn't until 2002 that you opened your second restaurant hugo's right um why don't you just tell the story take us through the evolution of backstreet cafe and um how you've you mentioned that you've built onto the kitchen multiple times so i mean it's it's transformed over the years right. um maybe just kind of take us maybe paint that big picture for us so we can kind of have an understanding okay. of what it looks like so when we opened it was like very simple soup sandwich salad kind of place with a you know a, a pretty strong bar business um and a strong lunch business and as we grew, we wanted, um, wanted more equipment so we could do different kinds of food. So that was one of the renovations in the kitchen. At, um, you know, After the first uh, two or three years, okay. we, we did a, a big renovation. Was it a success out of the gates? Were you busy on day one, or, or was it something that took some time it developing t- regulars and over time? It you took scaled? some time, but it's different now, obviously. I mean, social media now makes things explode. Yeah. Um, and people are a lot nosier about what you're doing. Um, back then, you, you know, you could open and nobody would, even your next door neighbor wouldn't know you were open, kind of. You know what yeah. I mean? So it was a much more a slower process. Just that, that constant gentle pressure of, of, of providing excellent service and retaining those guests one by one as they experience your restaurant. And over time, you, you develop those regulars. Right. Um, any advice on just what it takes to develop those regulars over time? And like you mentioned, we have social media today and things kind of just yeah. go viral. But yeah. I think there's still something to be said. I mean, social media is great for getting the word out, but social media is not, not going to create regular it's not going to create loyalty i think personalized service uh, is important recognizing people and knowing what they like and you know trying to be very consistent with uh, the way you serve them and also the food quality Uh, that consistency is very important yeah they find something they like they want to want them to be able to come back and get it time after time after time and for it to be good time after time after time is there a point um, in your time at, with your first restaurant, Backstreet Cafe, um, that you feel like you really started to like catch pace and you were stronger? At, is there a point? I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say it. It's like, was there a transitional point where you guys kind of t- took it to the next level? Can you bring us to that point? Yes. Uh, there, there were many transitions, actually, since we've been in business for 36 years. What was the first transition? Um, the first transition was when we got a grill. And I swear, I mean, you're just thinking, like, you know, duh. But <laughs> we didn't have a grill. So we got a grill, then we could ha- offer hamburgers, steaks, and that kind of thing. Uh, that yeah. was a huge uh, transition for us because it meant nighttime business. Mm. You know, I, that's how stupid I was. I was really a beginner. You know? But do you think if, if you, with, with the, the, you had very little experience when you started, so right. do you think that uh, scaling into having a grill and having all those other variables might have worked into your favor instead of having that all on day one? Oh, I do. I mean, I, I was able to learn at my own pace. Um, and one of the questions that I was asked earlier was if, um, if, if I had any regrets. And one of the regrets is I wish I had, got going you know a little faster like got my confidence up a little faster learned more faster so that i could have grown the business you know a little bit faster what was stopping you from getting that confidence in getting out there and learning more 
uh, I guess I wanted to feel like I really knew the business really well. So I wanted to study and, you know, I guess I wanted everything in a, like all my ducks in a row, everything totally prepared. Uh, so, and, and you're never totally prepared. I didn't understand that. <laughs> it's then. true. There's always something new to learn. And the thing is, the world we live in is fluid. It's always changing. So That's once right. you figured it out, then, you it's know, it does a 180 on, on you, right? That's right. So, uh, you said the first transition was getting the grill. How did the business change after getting the grill? You had you had night service. Uh, yeah, what else? Yeah, yeah. How did that impact your business? Uh, you know, huge. Uh, I had low rent, so I had that ability to to have time to grow. And um, you know, when I hired my husband as a dishwasher um, back in eighty seven, so I think four it years was. after you opened the boat. Uh, and so he. At the time, you know, he washed dishes, he became a busboy, and then um, he decided he wanted to cook, so he went back in the kitchen to cook on the line, and and then um, then we got together and had a relationship, and then he went to culinary school locally, and then that really got things going. You know, that really changed things a lot. So I'm curious. I was going to bring this up. Um there's a lot of mixed feelings about relationships in the business, right? Mm, and, uh, definitely. So, um, and, and in your case, you were dating your employee. Yeah. Um, what are your? Did people ever ask you about that? Or oh, the yeah. thoughts? What are your like thoughts on that? Very uh, difficult. I was going to say taboo. It's not really taboo, but it's it's definitely discouraged. Um, you know, it just happened and when it did happen I moved him to one of our restaurants that I I wasn't running so that he could go learn from that chef and that was Prego uh, which I haven't mentioned okay I was going to say I didn't see that on my, my, my I, research um, I took over Prego in 1988 okay uh, so we soon we got a chef there and um, he has since bought my shares um but anyway uh all but five percent i think so why did you why did you move hugo out um because i felt like it was creating some tension among the employees so i thought it was better if he was you know away yeah and so i honestly have really like mixed feelings about dating within the restaurant or employees or employees and dating employees or whatever it is I don't know. Like, I feel like at the end of the day, people are people, and feelings are feelings. And how are you going to suppress those feelings? Like, the only thing that I have as a rule is that I don't want someone dating someone that they supervise, that because then you have favorites. power over them, and that's not right. So, um, if if it's two waiters or two cooks or something, I don't care. So, how did you get this opportunity? Uh, was it Prego? Uh, Prego, I took over in 88 and from some investors and then... Um, uh, was it a restaurant that was failing or they just maybe they opened and they just realized it wasn't for them? Like what, what happened I, there? You know, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure of the history of it, uh, but it was a restaurant that I thought was really great looking at the time. You know, I loved the way it looked. And so, um, you know... Uh, when the opportunity came up, did you approach them, or did you make, did you let no, it be known? No, it was through our accountant. We had a uh, accountant in common. So the, the the accountant was like, you know, Tracy down the street really likes your place. How did that un- unwind? 
Um, no, I think she just knew that they were looking for somebody, and she asked me, are you interested in that? So were they? was it too much for them by themselves, and they were looking for one more person? To they had someone that was running it, but that person then for, left town or okay. something. Yeah. So did you come on as a partner originally, or were you? Yes, I did. Was the person that left the partner, or were they an employee? Um, they were a partner. Okay. So what advice do you have for uh, kind of transitioning into a pre-existing restaurant? Uh, maybe it's an opportunity for you to, you know, expand your portfolio, uh, but it's already, a, you know, they already have their separate culture. So that might be separate from your culture. Yeah. Like what advice do you have? Um, never say never, but I don't think I would do that again. Okay. That's a very risky thing to do, I think, uh, because if there was trouble there, then you inherit that trouble, and you've got to figure it all out. And back in 88, I think that was more doable than it is now. I'm not saying it isn't doable, but it's riskier. Why so? Um, Because people have their notion about that place. You know, we make quick judgments now, and it's not like people have the time to study what's really going on. They just say, oh, that place isn't doing anything. That place isn't interesting anymore. You know, it's like a quick judgment. So, uh, you know, a place can, can die by just the public perception. So I, I would be very wary. I'm not like changing the. If, if I was to take something over, I would change the concept, change the name, go through. Start all over. Yeah. Start, start over. over. Rebrand. Um, what What was the transition like with a different team in the culture? Can you speak to that? Like having your own team, your own culture, in one restaurant, um, separate, and then you know transitioning to that second restaurant with partners that are. Yeah, I think that um, everybody tries in the beginning to uh, understand the other person's value system and culture and you know and you try to uh, be flexible to incorporate their ideas and they do for you as well and as time goes on you know you begin to separate out what you think really does work and doesn't work that kind of thing so how so, long were you with this uh, the second restaurant what was it called Prego uh-huh Prego um, I mean I'm still you know that was 88 and I still own five percent of that oh okay so uh-huh. um, did you slowly train was it five percent in the beginning no uh, it was uh, a controlling interest but I can't remember how much okay. now so what was that process like I mean over time how long did it take you to, to get away to, to just five percent? Um, oh, I just suggested it uh, okay. because uh, John Watt was my partner or is my partner. And he'd been running it for a number of years, at least 10 or 15, like on his own. Yeah. So I was like, you know, this is really your baby. Yeah. So you're just there like operationally, basically. Yeah, yeah I mean, and we're still there as a group to support them like we have hr and all these things that one individual restaurant it's harder for them to do so yeah so um you said that hugo um so he he came on as a dishwasher uh transitioned to prep into eventually being a line cook and uh Mm -hmm. and then he went to culinary school uh at what point um where are we on the timeline um we're about 1992 when he graduated so about Uh, five years after getting the grill I, I would say, you know, something like that, uh, a couple of years. So I think 92, he went to school in 90, uh, graduated in 92. 
And at this point, you're together. You're a, yes. a couple. Uh-huh. Um, was what was the next transitional point? Because you said getting the grill was one, and then yeah. I'm assuming Hugo going to school and coming at yeah. like formally educated and having the. He came to back to back street as the chef. Okay. After school. And how did that change things? Um, well, it totally changed things. I would say uh, originally we had a our chef, if you would call her that. Uh, we hired from a, a grocery store. She was a produce buyer. Uh, at, a, at a sort of fancy grocery store. She was from Vietnam. She was uh, one of the boat people. Okay. Um, you know, she was a very cost-conscious, uh, you know, did whatever I taught her to do. But we needed to get way beyond what I knew. So that's where Hugo came in. Okay. So are there any, like, transitional points that we've missed up to this point where aha moments or... Uh, things that you uh, practices you adopted or ways you transformed your business over this time from 2000 or sorry 1983 to like 1995 like that really made a big impact on how you ran your business that we we might have missed at this point Mm. um well so far uh we've done everything with cash so when we went to uh, start Hugo's, which was a, a big challenge because that was going to be a very different restaurant for Houston, and it would be the first one that Hugo would be involved in. Um, my uncle and I, who had been my partner all along, uh, you know, went. We signed the lease on this building, a, a historic building, um, and then he died. Oh no! So that was very unexpected he was a healthy guy and uh, so I had to figure out where am I going to get the money so um, I ended up getting an SBA loan and I learned about SBA and that helped me do the next several projects so I never really did partners again in that sense um, you know I just I mean as far as money yeah. goes so anything we should know about SBA loans or the, the process of, go, of uh, applying for an SBA loan to, to increase our likelihood of getting approved for it that we should know about um, I think it's a great way for a young restaurateur to get the money because nowadays people are like crowdsourcing for money or they're asking for a hundred thousand dollars a piece and you got to get all you know it takes so much money to open a restaurant you, you have way too many partners and they all want to eat for free and you know whatever so um, a better way it's really important that you keep your credit you know at the top level that you can uh, and you need cash in the bank mm. that's really important so cash in the bank to back up the loan or yes okay uh, so you need to be able to put 20% down and so and you need to realistically know how much you're going to spend uh, I think that that was a hard lesson for me to I kept think, you know, <laughs> and then underestimating. 40%, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so you should never underestimate. You yeah. should more overestimate. And just because of what, what I'm drawing from your story, what I think makes your story unique is that you weren't starting out asking for an SBA loan. You were established. I mean, you you were now open for business for over you know ten years, fifteen years. So you had a track record of success. And I think that when you're in the industry, if you start small, and then you you use the SBA loans to scale uh, because you already have a track record of success. I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. going to be that much more likely to get approved for it. So don't go, don't 
go big right out the gates. You know, start where you can and right. use that track record of success to as leverage to get approved for the SBA. That's what I did. Uh, whether uh, you know, there's lots of right answers, right? There are many paths that will get you to the same place, uh, but. For me, that was that was a good way of doing it. You really have to come up with a lot of um, like uh, paperwork, and it, the paperwork is just astounding that you have to give them. But basically, SBA will guarantee a certain percentage of the loan for a bank. So the bank has given you the loan, but SBA is guaranteeing the loan. So you can take out as much as five million dollars in SBA funds at any one time so I, I could have you know th- five loans for a million dollars each out but uh, I wouldn't be able to get anything more until I paid one of those off okay so that's kind of how it is so was there a point in this timeline from 83 to present day where um, you went from being a, a you know a a business that's doing really well to being a business that's like a staple in the community. Was there a time where like the, the press started coming and the accolades started coming and it kind of rev, revved things up or where did that, when did that start to you happen? Know, that's hard for me to say from the inside, you yeah. know, that would be more for a person who was on the outside watching, uh, you know, for us, it's, we're just putting one foot in front of the other every yeah, day. Just showing uh, up, so right? there's no real, um, reflection on that. Uh, my husband won the James Beard Award, and that was a very, that was a time to reflect and be thankful. What um, year was that? Um, that was in 2017. Wow. Imagine that. Uh, so seven, that's almost 30 years of being in the industry, right, and showing up. Right. Uh, that, to me, is just incredible. Uh, so one thing that I think is unique with your story is I've uh, been in business now since 83, over 30 years, almost 36 years, right? 36 yeah. years. Um so much has changed about the industry, and you've had to stay uh, fluid yourself to be able right. to adapt to those changes. What were the biggest changes, the most difficult adaptations you had to make? Oh, my God. I mean, there's been so many. But uh, one that comes to mind that's kind of funny is smoking. Okay. So the employees used to go in the back room and smoke while they were waiting on customers. Yeah. Crazy stuff like that. <laughs> so we had this back room and uh, at Backstreet, and I remember thinking when we renovated one time, I got to get rid of that back room. I can't stand it, you know. Yeah. Um, but smoking was a, a a thing that we went through a transition to non-smoking, um, and then POS. We didn't have POS. Cell phones to have cell phones. So how do you how do you handle that that change when? There's change that needs to happen, and it's not mm-hmm. going to be easy change. It's going to upset a lot of people. What's the best way? Like, I'm sure telling your employees that they can't smoke in the, you know, like you can't. It just became, you know, I just uh, renovated out of it. You know, I just didn't. Um, What's your advice for somebody who might be going through that, that, that process right now where they have to change something and they know it's not going to be an easy change? Well, how do you, how do you make sure the change happens? Uh, I'm not a person who will um, stay with the status quo. So we are always changing, and I think that's good for employees. Uh, if it's the same, the same, the same, and you make a change, that is very upsetting. But if you continually evolve, you're always changing, then they expect it. As long as you explain things, I so think you, they're fine. You, would you say it's safe to say that you may change a part of your culture? Uh, you may continue continual sure. improvement a part of your culture? Oh, Was it echoed or said? I don't know if it's said? the culture. I mean, let me... 
there are things about the way we do business that we might change, but the culture is deeper than that. I don't think that changes. The culture is a reality of the of the how we are, how we act, how we show up every right, day. Right, and your your values, mm. your value system. So that's the culture. But uh, for example, whether we use the portable ordering system, you know, at the table, that would be that's a new thing that that we'll probably be doing within the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, so that'll be different for both customers and employees. Yeah. But it's great. And, and you started teasing your, your, about the transition to a POS from uh, written checks and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it was huge impact on your business. But I think um, that, that that is a huge change. But I think today with what's happening uh, with, like, say, delivery, for example, mm-hmm. where yeah. there's certain changes that, are, that have to happen to, to stay relevant right Right, to stay competitive totally Uh, what advice do you have um when you know change has to happen uh not just like saying no more smoking in the back room but like a fundamental like operational change that's going to completely change how everything you do is done how do you approach that change and how do you stay positive with that change well delivery um grocery stores are are new competition with their pre-made meals um, there, there are many things, and we have to figure out where we fit in. We have to be very specific about uh, our brand, I guess you could say, our value system, our way of doing business, and how to make that stay relevant. Mm. Um, I, you know, I buy those meals in the grocery store, too. So I realize that, that even fast casual is a big competitor now to full service. And even though fast casual can cost almost as much and you're tipping at the register uh, and you're having to stand in line for the privilege, (laughs) even with that, people say it's more convenient and a little faster. So then they're in control of their time. They get their food and they can eat it real fast and leave or, or take it to go or whatever. So... That is, I think, a big um, shift in the way that we, you know, uh, way restaurants are being viewed. Do you know, so full service has got uh, a challenge there. You know, they're going to have to differentiate themselves and become more experiential. Uh, in my opinion. So what I'm hearing is that um, you have to lean into the unique selling propositions that full service o- operations offer, which is that that more intimate experience, the, the, the being able to sit down and relax. And um, how do you how do you emphasize those at those? Or, unique- or maybe it's even um, you know live music, or maybe it's having a DJ, or whatever it is. Maybe it's the way it's designed. Or maybe it's the fact that they can't get that food anywhere else. It is totally unique. So whatever it is, it's an experience. So, so it kind of sounds like um, with the changes that are happening, if you're a restaurant owner who's, who's looking to pursue the, the traditional uh, casual dining environment, you have to lean into what casual dining offers that the other like fast casual quick service don't offer. And to right. make those... Um, you know, put those under a spotlight. Make those make those your unique selling propositions. That's right. 
what are those actually we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we come back i want to have you share up with us what those unique selling propositions are the things that we can focus on to really shine cake makes it easy thousands of restaurant operators are using cake pos and loving it with its easy simple to use and intuitive interface how could you not cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24 7 customer support not to mention lifetime access to cake university no wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google Search or Google Maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how Cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for Cake Point of Sale. But you have to use my links. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. So we're back in what we're going to do now, you just mentioned that uh, if we're continuing with the uh, casual dining environment, the traditional uh, sit-down environment, we need to focus on those attributes that are unique to that section of the industry. So what are those attributes that we should really lean into to, to separate ourselves or to differentiate from the evolving side of the industry, fast, casual, quick service, and maybe even like online ordering, if you right. want to go Well, that to me, the obvious thing is service. Mm. Now that's the big difference between quick service and a full service restaurant. You know, the obviously maybe you're going to have nicer plateware, silverware, the environment might be a little bit a little bit more full blown design wise. Um, but the service itself is I think where where there's a difference, right? I mean, um, so that and uh, let's kind of let's go deeper into this. Okay. Um, so, paint that picture of service. What does service look like in your restaurant? Like, what what degree do you take it to to really shine? Every day we have pre shift meeting for each shift. Um, we go over together uh, what's going on for that day, who's coming in, uh, what are the specials. Uh, we're talking about any information we need to impart to them. We might have an educational component to it. Um, might be something about wine or a cocktail or uh, bringing out a plate of food. We do that every pre-shift, bring out a plate of food, describe it in great detail, read the menu description to make sure that it matches. Um, so just good service starts with education, right. and communication, and empowerment. Yes. Uh, once a week we have wine class at each restaurant um, and we have many uh, waiters who've gotten their level one and level two certification for wine um, so that's important I think uh, when when waiters are waiting on you that they that they have knowledge of the wine list and the cocktails and uh, how they're you know where they come from and how they're made and that kind of thing okay so, so. really just um, the educational component i think is what separates 
good restaurants from great restaurants because there's a story behind everything. It's not right. enough just to know what goes into the burger, but where was the where were the ingredients sourced from, and what right. makes this burger so unique? What's the inspiration behind it? Doing it that way? Why did you do it that way? And to communicate that and make sure everybody understands what makes it so special. What else uh, really takes service to the next level? You mentioned the pre-shift and the education and really going deep into the details, right? Uh, and empowering your, your staff with the knowledge. What else? Um, I think keeping it. Uh, hate to word hate to use the word authentic but the person uh, is not does not have a canned speech they're not saying hi i'm jason i'm your server tonight and blah, 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 you're blah. letting their genuine personality right. shine through why That's is right. that what, what, what what's the impact of that because what happens i think you, you can make relationships that way okay um so when you're forcing people into a, a mold they're right. more focused on hitting checking the boxes right. and they're not being themselves they're not connecting with the guests that's right so what else? So we have the pre-shift. We have letting your get, letting your servers be themselves. Mm-hmm. What else do we do to take that that uh, service to the next level to to really shine? Good question. Um, I think it would be uh, uh, not only uh, a timeliness, but also an attitude um, and support of the restaurant, believing in what they're selling. You know, believing in what their job is and the the purpose of the restaurant. So it goes a little deeper than just learning product and delivering it on time, but actually investing yourself in what the restaurant is trying to portray. So how do we get our people to to buy into what we're trying to accomplish? What we're trying to the mission we're trying to serve? How do you I get think them? A that? lot of communication, um, and that's sort of a. Uh, in my experience, almost a male versus female kind of a thing. Um, I feel like uh, that I want a lot of communication, and many of the men on my staff are the, like uh, men of fewer words. But I think a lot of talking and a lot of explaining is very important. What does good communication look like? What like paint that picture of what? Where, when and where we should be communicating, what we should commu- be communicating, if you don't mind getting to that. Whenever we ask uh, our employees to do something, they should know why so that they can have context. So it's not just not like they're being pushed around and told to do this and that, but they understand why. And I think then they're more, more open to changing the way they do things or, uh, you know, what about like the infrastructure? Is there a, are you creating systems around communication to make sure communication is happening? Yes, we are trying to do that more and more. Um, one of the things that we, uh, my husband Hugo and my daughter Sophia went to San Francisco to Michael Mina's restaurants and had Hugo worked in the kitchens and Sophie worked in the front. And she was able to interview a number of their corporate um managers and one of the things that they came back with uh, they gave a little presentation to us and uh, besides telling us we need to be a lot more disciplined and organized um, one of the things that that they told me was that each uh, day at around 3.30 in the afternoon the front of the house managers and the uh, back of the house manager, the chefs of both the AM and the PM shift had a 30-minute meeting with a timer every single day. And what they did was they talked about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
of you know what happened yesterday, what mistakes did we make, who came in, who's coming in today, what's our what's our message for today, and then what's happening tomorrow, so that everybody understood this you know this pattern. Uh, so they did that every single day, and you can imagine the amount of communication. Then they went into their pre-shifts after that with their staff. I love this. So I'm going to try to paraphrase up to this point. The original question was, how do we lean into good service, right? How okay. do we stand out? And what I got from you is, uh, you know, the, the pre-shift, making sure you're educating your team and you're not just um, telling them what's in the ingredients, but you're telling them th- the story behind everything, right? The, right. the and then letting them, uh, the servers be themselves is another big thing I pulled out of that. Letting them, their their personalities, the reasons why you hired them shine through to, to connect with the guests on a different level. And then ha- making sure they know why the restaurant exists and that they're they're serving the mission, that they're getting behind the restaurant's values That's and right. purposes. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is, how do we do that? How do we uh, change the attitude? How do we get them to buy in uh, with good communication? And right. then getting organized with your communication blocking off time to make sure that we're talking and then adding structure to the communication so that you make sure everything's being discussed you said it much better than me i just i just took your notes and i (laughs) (laughs) that's what i try to do that's great stuff Uh, what Mm -hmm. else can you i mean i think we did pretty good job can can we move on from service and start Mm -hmm. talking about the rest of your career so Mm -hmm. uh 20 years it took 20 years 1983 to 2003 to go from well you did have that that side hustle restaurant Mm -hmm. going But to go from one restaurant to two restaurants, sole proprietor, right? right? Um, what was that transition like? What did you have to do to get yourself out of restaurant number one to be able to focus on restaurant number two? That that was very hard because you know you you play a much more active role in your first restaurant. You you need to be there, so it's a little bit of an act of faith to uh, to go to start running a second restaurant. You. You know, you're back and forth a lot. You're still trying to do it the same way you did it in the first one. So, you know, you often feel like you should be at one place and you're at the other kind of a thing. Um, after the third one, then maybe you can begin to hire some people that can assist. And, you know, you don't feel like you're um, not meeting the you know your own standards so at, or at the third one you're, you're you've generated a cash flow where you can start delegating that's what i found i mean yeah. it might be different for others but so let's let's before we get into for, for, from going from two to three let's go back to one to two and what habits did you create what processes did you, did you create to be able to manage what things did you have to do to be able to be in those two places at once did you and hugo divide and conquer or did you recreate yourself and others and uh, n- no, I don't think we divided and conquered. We were together <laughs> all the time. Okay. Um, I, when you first open a restaurant, you're always there. And so you're neglecting the one before because at least in, in our experience, we feel like we needed to be there all the time. Um, some, uh, I'm trying to think what, what to tell you on that. Uh, one of the things that had occurred early in the restaurant's life, uh, Hugo's, I mean, we, we got some nice reviews and everything, and it was uh, a challenge because it was a different kind of restaurant than what Houston was used to, uh, Tex-Mex. It was more of an authentic regional Mexican restaurant, um, which there are, you know, those are around the country now, but they didn't used Back to be. Back then it was a big deal. They didn't yeah. used to be. So, um, you know, it took some educating um, and the food critics were on board and really helped out. 
Um, what advice do you have for us to get food critics on board? That's a, I think. Well, uh, we tried to explain, uh, you know, on the front page of the menu exactly what what it was, and uh, on the website, I guess if we had a website, no, I, I think we did. I, I'm trying to remember if there, if that was even a thing uh, at that <laughs> time. But um, anyway, so explaining what we were trying to do and why. Uh, why we were trying to do it. That was Hugo's idea of what Mexican food was. And every time we went to a Mexican restaurant, he'd say, well, this isn't Mexican food. I've never had this before. What's a burrito? What's a, what's a taco salad? What's a, you know, uh, what are nachos? Never seen them before. And I was like, God, there's something to that. I mean, why would that be? So started researching it and trying to understand. And um, then Hugo took a trip around... Mexico uh, for about a month in a car oh, with uh, like his brother and cousin and father, and they studied the food oh, in different regions and understood better, you know, how regional it was and why. And um, so we made a big project out of it. So it, I, I guess what I'm hearing from you is do something significant. Yeah. Uh, don't just open a restaurant and copy the pl- the place down the street and. You know, do something that's going to be intriguing. Do do something that's going to draw attention, and and be thoughtful, be intentional, right? And right. and try to make a difference. And it sounds like 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 Hugo, what you and Hugo were trying to do was to, to represent Mexican food the way it should be, not not our interpretation of it, but what the the literal interpretation is. Well, I think he just really wanted. At first, he was scared. Well, I guess I was scared too, but um, you know to actually offer the things that he used to eat mm. because he thought you know this is not real, fancy yeah. enough for Americans and then um, you know with time you know it all began to fill in for us and we began to understand how we could present it and how how we could do it so so um, I think the original question was um, how did you garner this this press how did you get the the writers behind you Right? Is that and, right. Then, and, and I think that the reason that they got behind us now, I don't think I knew that then, but is that it was something new and it was a big effort. So if it's exciting, if it's somebody does about. something a little bit new and they and there's a lot of um, research and and uh, experience behind it, then it's worth seeing. Yeah. So don't. Do what everybody else is doing. Have a unique selling proposition, and I keep on saying. I've, I think in the past two episodes, I've, I've like kicked the crap out of the, the the phrase "unique selling proposition," but it's so true. Mm-hmm. Do something uh, that is unique that you can lean into, that you can highlight to to, to create some kind of differential, like right. differentiation. Um, what about two to three? You said from going from two to three, that's when you can start to getting to the point where you're delegating, where you're hiring out. How do you do that right? Um, well, I, I think we got together as a group and talked about it uh, over time and we realized that um, we had a, a, a person who worked as I guess she was working as my assistant at that point once we got three restaurants and um, then we realized that it would be important to separate out the payrolls and have a separate group handling the payroll rather than letting the GMs do the payroll. So uh, she then was willing to do that. So 
she and I went to a lot of HR seminars and just learned what we could learn through the Restaurant Association. Um, and she became head of our HR. So, and our IT person, just because. So look at what you have, basically. What I'm hearing is look at what you have, the people you have, mm-hmm. what their interests are, especially right. if their interests are uh, areas or strengths that exceed your own ability to do something, right? So right. why get in the way of them doing it when they do it better than I do and they have a, an interest in doing this? I don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. You can do this. You can free me up to do something else. And then you empower them by bringing them to do the by, by putting the resources in front of them, whether that's going to your, your state association, uh, whatever, uh, seminar, or you're right. you know, going to a consultant or whatever. Um, is that... That is right. I mean, the same thing happened with our beverage uh, director. He started with me just tasting wines together, and then all of a sudden he took it to a much higher level than me. So now he's in charge of all our beverage programs, no matter what it is, coffee, beer, wine, cocktails, everything. Um, And then the same thing with our director of operations. He started as a food runner. He became a bartender. He was a waiter, then he was a manager, and then he became GM, and then then he became director of operations for all. I love it. Um, so it's almost like um, you, you scale, you grow when when by creating opportunities for other people. Like these people are growing, you, they, you need to create an outlet for them. Where That's are they going right. to go? Right? Perfect um, uh, thought because. If I don't continue to grow and create opportunities, they're going to go, go somewhere, somewhere else. else. So I'm curious. Um, I've noticed uh, today that there seems to be a lot of partnerships happening. You see it with Justin, Hugh, and, and Bobby uh, Siegel. Am I saying his name? No, Hugel. Uh-huh. Hugel, thank you. Um, and uh, I see it everywhere I go. Every city I go, the, the restaurateurs that are really knocking out of the park are the ones that are looking or willing to look at other restaurateurs and instead of saying you're the competition, you're the enemy, they're saying, "Well, you're really you're better at that than I am." Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can focus on the back of house, and you can focus on the front of house, and we can open a restaurant together and be better together. Yeah. Um, have you? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what your partnerships are. You, you, so, 2013, you opened your third restaurant. Ten years after your second restaurant, and then uh, five years after that, you opened Suchi. Uh, and it seems like now, like. You're, you've attracted onto yourself a ton of talent, and you're opening new restaurants because you're finding the talent to work with, or you're, you're grooming the talent. Are you partnering with other restaurateurs? Are you bringing partners on? Are you giving up equity to, to, to find that talent and to attract that talent onto you? No. Um, we're not giving up equity. Um, yes, I, I do have a profit-sharing plan with those key employees that are making it happen. Um, I've so I would say that, uh, you know, in a sense, I have a partner with Hugo, but, you know, he's my husband. Yeah, he's so sharing the, the I, checking account. <laughs> right. So it, he is back of the house. I'm front of the house, more yeah. or less. So, um, you know, every every deal's unique, right? So. so that's something I'm really interested in right now um, is this idea of the, the talent that's out there is so slim. And we're all jockeying for the same talent and the same people that are out there. And how do you attract onto yourself that talent? A lot of people are saying you give them equity in the business. You make them a partner because, I mean, that's how else you're going to get the best. Like, they're going to eventually go open their own place. So you do it with them. But the other, on the other side, I'm seeing a lot of people doing exactly what you're doing, the profit sharing. Like, you work harder and it, you know, and it comes back to you in the back end. So how are you setting up your profit sharing? What, what model are you using 
um, that we can replicate? And, and what if we want to start doing, we we're, what if we're not willing to give up equity in our business because we haven't found the right partner that we trust enough to give them that much of the business, but we want it to give them some kind of incentive. What model are you using with your profit share that, that is is attractive enough to be pulling this talent and, and retaining this talent? Well, we, we share profits with um, the chefs and the front of the house managers and our corporate team. So, uh, and depends on how many, you have to have been with us at least a year in the, your job in order for you to participate in it. And then I'm the one who figures out each month what, what percentage each person gets. Okay. And so, um, you know. Is there a system you use without giving away like too much uh, yeah, private uh, information? Uh, well, the 10% is what I give. Okay. Of the profits. So... So you, you know, take you take 10% it, off the top, and then you divide that 10% among your team. That's right. Okay. Um, anything we should know if we want to take that approach? Anything that you had to figure out the hard way? Um, there, you have to keep track of when people uh, started their job. Uh, you have to keep track of – You need. it's great if you can get your um, financials quickly so that you can um, reflect back on what went wrong and, you know, everybody can be a part of that. Um, and that's something we're struggling with always. Say that one uh, more time, what the struggle is. Get, I don't, get the financials quickly so okay. that there's a short enough period of time since that month passed, you know, so that everybody has a memory for what happened. What can you do to expedite that process of getting the financials? Um, well, I'm just learning that myself. Uh, what have you figured out so far? We have, uh, we recently we went from having um, the financials done by a very small team outside our company. Then we hired somebody inside our company to do it. And then she had a hard time catching up, just couldn't catch up. It was just too many, you know, coming out. So then we went to a um, small bookkeeping firm. Uh, and the person that we had hired, the accountant we hired, is now uh, in charge of the buying program and also in charge of uh, you know paying the bills and that kind of thing to get everything ready for the new book. So when you're saying firm. getting the financials, you're waiting. So basically, you you had to wait for the the vendors to be paid, the employees to be paid. You get to the point where now you now you have profit. This is what's left over. That's what is that what you mean by getting the financials? Is getting no, to the point I to mean like the the actual report. Okay. To show us yeah, how much money did we make. Okay. And so uh, there may be one-time, ex- uh, you know, uh, big expenses that we're expensing out. Or, there, you know, a reason we didn't make money might be had to pay property taxes yeah. or something There's, like that. Are, have you heard of Profit First? I'm curious. Is that is that on your radar, the, the book Profit First? You might be interested in it. It's something that I'm looking into right now myself. Well, it's sort of like pay yourself first yeah, kind of so, a thing. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> right. So that way you know, like, you have a bottom line. Like, we're going to make this. Mm-hmm. Um and then you you let that, so it's it's sales minus um, profit equals expenses, and you let what's left over that that determines your expenses. How many people you can have on your team, uh, what tools and services you can invest in, equipment, technology, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really interested in that approach, uh, that whole just mind that that switch that that that. Flip. That's really interesting, uh, and it it can certainly work as long as you are up to the minute with the expenses that you are incurring. I mean, you need to be, like, uh, watching, like, your repair and maintenance and 
you know, all yeah. the things that are there's, unpredictable there's so many, versus predictable. Yeah, there's so many variables and so many so there few are. constants in this industry. So it does make it tough. I hear you. Um, so we're going to get close to wrapping up. I can't believe how fast time goes. We're at 56 minutes of recording time. Does it feel oh. like it's been 56 minutes? No. It goes no. by so fast. It's a yeah. good sign. So one thing that is really interesting about you um, is that you've been in this industry for like 36 years now. But you not only have been in the industry for 36 years, you got into the industry as an owner for 36 years. Not many people can say that. You know, that makes you really unique. Um, how has the industry, in your opinion, changed the most? Uh, from the time you got into this industry to where it is today, how is it different, better or worse? Um, far better in some aspects. Um, it's, I think more people are treating it like a business. Um, back 30 years ago, people were treating it as a stepping stone to do something else. Um, nobody took it seriously. Uh, now it's extremely competitive. People are more business-like in their approach. Uh, so those people are rising to the top, and it's extremely competitive. Uh, so in that way, I think we've advanced. Um, there's also a lot more involvement with tech. Technology is is now very involved in, in all businesses. But, is that good or bad? Um, I think it can be great um, if used properly. Um, I mean, you can get to know about your employees. You keep track of your guests and what they like, and so you can improve your service by being by using some predictable kind of measures. Um, when when do people use technology that's inappropriate when it's inappropriate and not proper? You said when used properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it can enhance a guest experience. Uh, it can help your costs, keep your costs in line. Those are all really good things. You could use it at the table. It could increase the, the speed with which people are served. Um, you can be ordering the drink and tell them about the special and the drink's ready and comes to the table before the waiter even leaves the table. That's, like, amazing. Yeah. Um, so ways that it could be used in an inappropriate way, I would say... Um, uh, one thing that's come up on the show, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, go ahead. and I feel like you're probably going in this direction, uh, is that technology, like you said, can be great to help you manage guest relations and employee relations because you can track all this information and you can access it and you can automate a lot of things that take up all of your time so you can focus on relationships. But sometimes people try to use technology to automate relationships and to replace the human element for efficiency. Um, right. Do you see that happening? I do. And in some cases, maybe it's okay. Um, I mean, it depends on what the guests are expecting from you. Uh, but, for example, the conveyor belt sushi <laughs> or... Um, I saw my first one of those. Places. I was in Thailand. I saw one of those in a mall. Like, yeah, what? there's one, I think, <laughs> in scary. Houston. Um, and Or things like uh, when you go to a um, fast food restaurant and you can order from a kiosk. Or um, what about the um, the Amazon uh, grocery store that yep. just you know you I guess you register and then you just go take things off the shelf and leave right. and there's no real experience there. I mean now there's the ghost kitchens where these restaurants don't even have a brand or anything. They're just looking at trends and recreating trends and then del- doing uh, living off of delivery right yep. there and just. 
uh, sorry, I got distracted. Someone just, <laughs> but like, uh, it's just there's it's weird. It's a weird time. It's a really weird time. But we're almost yeah. we're almost wrapped up. I, I want to real quick just ask you if there's anything that you were hoping we would talk about, or anything that you think needs to be discussed in our free flowing time. That yeah. something that's near and dear to your heart that you think the industry needs to hear. Um, one of the, I came prepared to talk a little bit about giving some advice about young. Uh, restaurateurs trying to figure out um, how to be effective and how to get into the industry or what are some advice and um, I'll just quickly go through this advice that I wrote up uh, for somebody who is young and and willing to uh, you know hear it so to paint that scenario again it's for somebody who's young looking to get into the industry what's that yes uh, you know uh, or trying to improve their lot in the industry First, I would suggest to join professional and social groups um, like the Restaurant Association or Chamber of Commerce or um, a charitable group. Um, Learn from, um, there are older um, people involved in a group called the Silver Foxes, and those guys will help you get an SBA loan. They'll teach you all the steps uh, of having a successful business that's worth you know doing and um, then once you have a restaurant uh, I would suggest not taking all the money out of it like keeping a really big savings account that's really important um, learn how to open your business without partners if that's the direction you want to go um, I don't like partners just for money I, if partners are involved it makes sense if they um, you know, bring value to the the um, the business. Um, know that it'll cost you about twenty percent more than you think when you're going to open a business. So make sure you have that extra money. Um, hire a good lawyer from the get go when you're negotiating a lease. That's really important. Um, you can end up with agreeing to things that will tank the business if you don't do that. Hire a great accountant um, and do the financials every month. That's really important. Um, make sure that your concept is pure and strong and has some uniqueness to it. Um, don't have unrealistic expectations about a business when you're trying to decide whether uh, a particular location can produce and a concept can produce a certain number of people coming for lunch, uh, the amount they're going to spend, and the amount of repeat visits they're going to make. Don't be unrealistic about that. Um, Be willing to sacrifice everything uh, in order to get what you want. Um, Protect your name. Make sure that you register the name. And if you can, if you feel like it's something you're going to expand on, then you need to register that nationally. Um, pay very close attention to the location that you choose and make sure that it is complementary to the concept that you are interested in in developing. Um, Not only the location in the city, but also the micro-location, whether it's on a one-way street, whether it has accessibility and that kind of thing. Um, learn how to control your costs from the get-go. That's really important. This is a whole other episode. I'm loving it. I Keep know. Going. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, you'll know. Uh, oh, one other thing that I wanted to uh, 
to mention is a, a website called restaurantowner.com. Yes. Um, I use that all the time. Jim Laub is a great friend. Um, really a huge resource. Yeah, and I'll be us. sure to link to restaurantowner.com in the show notes. They are um, a partner of Restaurant Unstoppable. So if you guys are, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, what is it, like 20 bucks a month or something like that? I don't know, but and it's been the, great money the, for the, me. The resource is bottomless. There is so many tools, templates, uh, flows, anything that you can think of, well, webinars, seminars, uh, awesome stuff, right. great resource. Uh, I'll, I'll link to it, and you will be supporting Restaurant Stoppable if you use my link to yeah. help them out. So awesome stuff. Um, this has been a great conversation. We still have to bust out a quick speed round. It won't take long. Uh, but I do ask all my guests, uh, how have you transformed over the thir- last 36 years? Who are you today versus the woman you were 36 years ago? Um... More disciplined, um, more, uh, try to be more of a model. Uh, uh, I used to be kind of, you know, wild, sort of free-spirited person. <laughs> I, you know, I have more responsibilities now, I guess. I think there's something to be said about being the free-spirited, wild person. It's that yin and yang, right? There's no, it, there's a bounce. You need to have that, that uncertainty, that, that chaos, the, that is the human nature, chaos, right? But then you need that order. You need systems. You need processes. And there's a, there's a beautiful balance. And just finding that balance is the hard part. But mm-hmm. I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're going to bust out a fast speed round. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there it's the entrepreneurial myth and i'm sure you're familiar with it it's the idea that when you open your own restaurant life is gonna get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love whether that's front of house or back of house and then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys, but how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto, that's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable.
We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, teaching. Mm. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, taking chances. <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Curiosity. Mm. What's your biggest challenge today? Labor. How are you dealing with that challenge? Um, scheduling module, uh, health insurance. Um, so when you say labor, are you saying uh, managing labor expenses? Labor expenses, yes. Uh, training, uh, just everything to do with our workforce. Gotcha. Uh, wh- what is one code of conduct or behavior or core value, if you will, that you teach your team? Integrity. What is integrity to you? Um, doing the right thing even if nobody's looking. I love it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something that's common within your restaurant but not common within the industry. Um, graciousness. Ooh, what is graciousness to you? Um, like a level up uh, of manners. Mm, I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Setting the table. <laughs> the number one by far most recommended book on the show. What's one lesson from that book that you learned? Uh, constant gentle pressure. I love that. Yes. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Be authentic, uh, be original. I love it. And what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, uh, profitability, anything along those lines? Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams. What's that? Uh, It's a way to communicate with your employees in categories, and you can chat with an individual like a text or you can group all managers uh, and send uh, information it, you can put files in there so, it sounds like slack sounds very similar to it, slack. i think it is yeah awesome mm-hmm. uh, okay this is the last question it's a doozy are you ready for it i think so <laughs> okay if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy what would those three pieces of wisdom be I, the looks i get when i ask this question from my, my guests they're like what are you doing to me man <laughs> uh, uh, grow your team from within Uh, What would be another one? Save your money. Um, uh, And do something authentic to your own experience. What do you mean by that? Um, If I'm a, a country boy from you know, Oklahoma, and that's my experience, then my restaurant should be based on my experience, my, you know, Make uh, it. heritage. Uh, if uh, Then if I go try to open up a, a 
uh, Italian restaurant. It's just not going to be, be true to yourself. That's right. You are. Be I love true it. to yourself. Grow your team from within. Save money and do something authentic to your own experience. I love this conversation. You are an incredible guest. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Tracy. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's okay. one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. Um, here in town or anywhere in the world okay uh, I think everybody would say Danny Meyer but I'm going to say somebody here in town that I really admire and that's Russell Ibarra Russell Ibarra look out I'm coming after you I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know if we want to come maybe join one of your your, your restaurants be on your team what's the best way to connect or maybe we just have some questions we want to reach out uh, anybody can uh, email me just through any of our websites. At all, they, all the emails come to me. All right. I think that email is Tracy at backstreetcafe.net. I'll have the links in the show notes. A summary of today's discussion, the books recommended, the tools recommended, and how to connect with Tracy over there. Uh, just go to restaurantunstoppable.com and search Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, right? V-A-U-G-H-T. There's no E. I didn't say you did I T-R-A-C-Y yeah. C-Y yep uh, V-A-U-G-H-T you'll That's find that episode right there Tracy again thank you so much there is no questioning you are unstoppable thank you cheers All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.